Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by PSEG Foundation, Kane University, where cougars climb higher, Delta Dental of New Jersey, everyone deserves a healthy smile, PSENG, committed to providing safe, reliable energy now and in the future, the Fidelco Group, Rutgers University, Newark, New Jersey Sharing Network, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, working for a healthier, more equitable New Jersey. And by the New Jersey Education Association. Promotional support provided by Meadowlands Chamber, celebrating 50 years of building connections and driving business growth. And by NJ Biz, providing business news for New Jersey for more than 30 years, online, in print, and in person. Hi everyone, I'm Steve Adubato. Welcome to an important, compelling conversation dealing with the question of navigating the healthcare system for people with autism. We're honored to have a distinguished panel. We kick off with Dr. Suzanne Buchanan, Executive Director of Autism New Jersey, and Michelle Adubato, who happens to be my sister, but that is not her most significant title. She's the Chief Executive Officer of the Northward Center and the founder of the Center for Autism, and finally, Dr. Juana Baruti, developmental behavioral pediatrician at Hackensack Meridian Health and underwriter of our healthcare program. I want to thank all of you for joining us. Um, Michelle, let me start off with, with you on this. You, you founded the Center for Autism, and the website will be up, everyone's website will be up. You founded the Center for Autism, and I happen to know this, not just professionally, but personally, but you have a deep and abiding commitment to helping people dealing with autism and their families. Talk about it. The issue that we're talking about today is once again, another inequity uh, for people with autism and other disabilities. So the reason why I founded the Center for Autism, especially in our urban area, is because of the inequities like healthcare. And, and Suzanne, I don't wanna assume that people know exactly what how autism is defined and make sense of it. We assume that all the time, but it's, we're incorrect. Define it, please. Sure. So autism is a developmental disability in which people's social skills and their communication are impaired in some way. Um, many individuals with autism also have intellectual disability, which makes it very difficult for them to learn new things. So they have a slower rate of learning. Um, and there's, you know, a number of other challenges that go along in terms of adaptive behavior and kind of making it through everyday activities that can make life particularly challenging and are particularly um, challenging in the healthcare setting, especially. You're going to see the helpline uh, up. It's 800-4-AUTISM. You're going to see that helpline. And Suzanne, help everyone understand if you call that helpline, what's happening on the other end? Mm -hmm. 
So you're going to speak with one of my three colleagues, one of whom is an attorney, one of whom is a social worker, and one of whom is a very seasoned parent. And the three of them each bring their own areas of expertise to figure out, well, first of all, to listen, um, and then with the caller, figure out what they need um, in a most comprehensive sense. So we try to connect people to the information they need, the referrals they need, and the practical and emotional next steps. Thank you. And Dr. Brudy, let me, let, let's talk about this. Autism um, affects young people in a variety of ways, impacts young people in a variety of ways. Make it clear what those challenges are from a healthcare perspective, and then we'll talk about accessing and getting the help they need. Please, doctor. Yeah, so as Suzanne mentioned, so autism is a developmental disorder where children and individuals have difficulties with social interaction and communication. Um, so that plays a role in the healthcare setting, right? Because so much of what doctors do is get information from the patient. You know, where does it hurt? How does it hurt? What does it feel like? Um, you know, which again can be difficult in, in for kids who have autism. Um, the other part of the diagnosis of autism is these repetitive behaviors uh, sensory uh, sensitivities, rigid behaviors. Um, so some of our kids may be more affected. You know, a lot of the healthcare settings, right? There's a lot of stimuli, especially if you're thinking about going to the emergency room or things like that. Um, but even sort of in a regular doctor's office, right? There's a little different smells and, you know, you're supposed to wear this gown that opens in the back and all these funny things um, that are, you know, very uncomfortable for, for many of us as well, uh, but di very difficult for children and individuals with autism. Michelle, as you're listening to Dr. Baruti, again, you found, not only founded the Center for Autism, but this is near and dear to not just your head, but your heart. Talk about it from a family and personal perspective, because you understand it on that level as well. Well, you know, absolutely. My five-year-old grandson, Sebastian, has been diagnosed with autism. I'm going to fake like I'm drinking this coffee. Uh, Sebastian drew this for me. <laughs> So uh, we can't figure out how to get them blood work, okay? Um, a very common problem for people with autism. He cannot go to a quest. That you're, we can't, he can't do it. And, you know, Suzanne and I've talked, I mean, we are ex supposedly the experts in the field, and I'm sitting there trying to figure out how do I get my grandson access to blood work that he needs because he has an eating disorder because he's not eating properly and we want to make it so it's completely obviously linked to to health on on the other end of it from a broader spectrum like we look at the pandemic the pandemic brought out certain things from a healthcare system of how our unknowingly by the way the healthcare system is failing our children with autism and adults with autism i don't they don't know that but they need to know that they're not doing that on purpose. And what we have had to do, and I know Suzanne has done this also, is we brought together our group. They have to go in a place where they're trusted, where they feel safe, where we can, we spoke with the parents and we were able to, you know, get, you know, our clients, many other people vaccinated people with autism for the number one reason they trusted us. That's nothing to do with the vaccine. Cause we've done All other right. things. They've trusted us. And trusting is very important um, for people with autism. So, Suzanne, I mean, that's Michelle. 
who is an expert in the field. She understands it from a variety of perspectives. She has certain relationships and contacts to navigate the system. And she's talking about the struggles that she has had and their family, her family and, and, and Sebastian's family have had. So what does that mean for folks who don't have that expertise, who don't have those relationships? How much more challenging is it for them, A, Suzanne and B, why are we not mandating some significant degree of training for healthcare professionals in this regard? I know that's a loaded question, Suzanne, please. It is. Um, you know, we have to make sure, like Michelle said, that the people who don't know about the needs of people with autism know. And it's not just the physicians and the nurses and the people interacting like in the doctor's office. It's also leadership of healthcare systems, right? And so we need more protocols and they need more experience working directly with these families in a proactive way, right? Michelle talked about trust, right? And trust is huge. Trust is based on experience. Trust is based on knowing that the healthcare setting you're going to, whether it's for a COVID vaccination or routine care or specialty care, that they can meet you where you are and handle your needs, whether it's sensory sensitivities or problem behavior or difficulty communicating where it hurts, right? Many times parents report to us that they actually forego routine and even sometimes specialized care because Absolutely. it's so traumatic. And so it's not just, well, of course we need more training you know, for doctors and nurses and everyone involved in the healthcare interaction, but we need more infrastructure and leadership support to develop more you know, protocols and, and structures in place so that there's a larger healthcare workforce that's informed about the needs of people with autism. But Dr. Bruton, let me ask you this. To what degree are you helping your colleagues in the healthcare system understand what they need to understand to provide the best quality healthcare to children dealing with autism and, as Michelle said, their respective families? Uh, so the way we've seen this over time is that, you know, it's, it's sort of a multi-pronged issue, right? Uh, part of the issue, and early on in my training and when I started seeing patients, you know, I would so often hear stories where um, families just would avoid, right? You know, you, you know, we would, the dentist would come up or certain things or blood work would come up, as Michelle mentioned. Um, and most families would say, well, you know, Johnny just can't do that. So we just don't do that. And early on in my training, I said, oh, okay, you know, Johnny just can't do that, you know, and it, we had so many other things to talk about that, you know, we sort of went to the next topic, um, but that's really not the way to address it, right? Um, so I think, you know, it, it's, it's, it's multifold, right? So we have to address parent education um, and really kind of moving forward from, you know, avoiding, right, and kind of, you know, coming up with some strategies of things that we can do. Um, we've developed a coping passport, so it's a small little tool um, that families can bring What's with them. What's it called them. again? A what, doctor, again? A coping a coping passport. Yeah, so it's like a little document that parents can bring with them. Um, it talks about, you know, the things that soothe them, you know, what, it, what triggers them when they're in a medical setting. How do they communicate? Um, and oftentimes, you know, because because parents are under stress too when they are there to, you know, to the ER right. or getting blood work. So the grandparents, right, Michelle? <laughs> <laughs> Finish your point, doctor. I'll come back to you, Michelle. Go ahead. Yeah, and it's hard for them to think of those things on the spot. So thinking about it ahead of time can be really helpful um, for us as the medical providers. 
again, there, there's a lot that we've done. You know, we've tried to, you know, encourage training. We're actually in the process of hiring a behaviorist. Um, Hackensack Meridian Health has been, you know, very open to our needs and, you know, is has done fundraising. And now we have a, a behaviorist that will be hired, that will be full-time and will be helping kids in a medical setting. Um, the other thing that we also do, and I um, I just want to touch on this, is sometimes... Go ahead. Well, um, so this is like a little prescription that we'll give to patients. So it says, I went to see the doctor today. I got through it, but some things were really hard for me. Can you help me with? And things like, you know, uh, take my blood pressure or um, get on a scale. So if we are seeing a child that is having a difficulty getting their blood pressure taken, um, you know, and we try and whatnot, and we, we still can't do it, we'll give this little note. Because oftentimes the child has a team, a school team, maybe they have a team at home, and these are things that can be practiced. So obviously the blood work or the, you know, the dentist or those kinds of things may not be perfect. Um, but it's something we can work on. Michelle, as you listen to the doctor, let me ask you this, because you understand this on such a professional and personal level, what advice do you have for parents right now? Um, there are a significant number. I've got to believe statistics. I always try to remember statistics are really about people. They're not numbers. They're about people. Michelle, for the many, many families and, and caregivers who are watching right now, trying to navigate the healthcare system, what advice would you have for them right now, Michelle? Well, that, that's the right word, um, how to navigate. And unfortunately, again, it's put on parents. And I do want to say something about what the doctor just said. And I heard you and it makes a lot of sense. I think that you have to be a superhuman being to be a parent of a child with autism. And you know what? That shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. This is a systemic issue. This is a systemic issue that our society needs to deal with, and we need to stop putting it on parents only. Parent do this, grandparent do that. And I get it because we're living it and we advocated it for 30 years and now I'm living it. And I, I have to tell you, it's again, you think you know, you don't know until you have that child and the, or that grandchild with autism. And the point of that is we need to change, as we have done, Suzanne, many times, we need to change the system. In the, the meantime, system what advice do you have for parents, though? The, the advice for parents, of course, is to never give up. The advice for parents is to continue to look like we're doing. Uh, many times, parents, as you said, parents just go, look, I, they can't do it. They but again, the hands we up. can make it easier. We can make it easier if our healthcare system and our systems understand the difficulties and the stigma of, of what, our, what our adults go through. I just want to say really sure. one quick story of the Center for Autism. We had this young lady, 33 years old. She became weak. We didn't know what was wrong. The mother didn't understand. She collapsed. And we insisted, and of course we helped the mother, we insisted that she get a full medical review uh, before she said, and, and she found out that she had cancer. She never went to a gynecologist ever. She was 35 years old, never. Mother never even thought of it. You know, and and of because you're dealing with so many other things that and what you said is like goes down on the totem pole and then all of a sudden it becomes number one. So I guess the advice I would give to parents is health matters and it does and then proactive health matters. And then that's where our systems need to help us get there. 
and they're not mutually exclusive, uh, Suzanne, as Michelle said, it shouldn't be either exclusively or almost all on parents. This, we need to make some real changes, but in the meantime, however long, that, whatever that means, parents have to, and Michelle just very effectively said what, uh, gave some real advice to parents, but uh, Suzanne, I want to come back to you in the time we have left. Mm -hmm. Your work at Autism New Jersey, trying to influence and impact the system, as Michelle said, on the state and federal level, real quick, please talk about that. Sure. So we realized from our own COVID vaccination efforts that the critical ingredient was the medical behavioral collaboration along with the family. We talked with families. We understood their child's needs, whether it was a child or an adult, right? And we talked with the nurse who was assigned to that child. And so we made sure that every possible predictable and even sometimes unpredictable events were taken care of. And that's the level of time and attention and collaboration that's needed system-wide. And it only happens in teeny tiny pockets. And so we have what we call an advancing healthcare initiative. We've hired a behavior analyst to lead it. And we've been talking all year long with Hackensack Meridian and other healthcare partners across the state so that we can bring people together on a statewide level. We're not at the, the level of government in terms of needing legislation or regulation yet, because we know that within healthcare systems, there are intelligent, educated, motivated, compassionate people who just have don't have the extra time in the day to plan for the needs of people with autism. So that's what we want to bring some coordination and leadership to in collaboration with healthcare partners throughout the state. To Suzanne? Michelle, Dr. Baruti, cannot thank you enough. And, and Michelle, um, you pushed us to do this. It's the right thing to do. We have a responsibility to shed a light, to provide more information that's credible and substantive and uh, be involved in the effort to help so many parents that are overwhelmed and grandparents dealing with um, issues of autism with the people they love in their lives. So thank all of you very much. You've done an important public service. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. To see more Think Tank with Steve Adubato programs and to listen to Think Tank with Steve Adubato, the podcast, visit us online at steveadubato.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. I am alive today thanks to my kidney donor. I am traveling and more active than ever before. I'm alive today thanks to my heart donor. I'm full of energy and back singing in my church choir. I'm alive today thanks to my lung donor. I'm breathing easy and I'm enjoying life's precious moments. There are about 4,000 people in New Jersey waiting for a life-saving transplant. Donation needs diversity. For more information or to become an organ and tissue donor, visit njsharingnetwork.org. New Jersey is home to the best public schools in the nation. And that didn't happen by accident. It's the result of parents, educators, and communities working together year after year to give our students a world-class education, no matter the challenge. Because parents and educators know that with a shared commitment to our public schools, our children can learn, grow, and thrive. And together, we can keep New Jersey's public schools the best in the nation. We are honored to be joined by LaShonda Gilliam. She's the principal at Michelle Obama Elementary School. So good to see you, Ms. Gilliam. 
Good to see you, Steve. Thank you for having me. Well, it's an honor to have you. Do you mind if I, if I read a quote from you? Yes, sir. Go ahead. It's a quote from you talking about the school. We're not going to let our students and their families know, excuse me, we are going to let our students and their families know that we are going to be strong on the outside and on the inside. We're doing music and movement, yoga, exercise every week with our students. We're not playing around here. These kids have got to be healthy. It's powerful. Talk about that work every day and why it matters so much. Uh, we're so excited. I mean, you know, we are trying to implement Michelle Obama's Let's Move campaign. As you know, the former first lady prides herself on public service and eating healthy and living a healthy lifestyle. And we just want our families to know that just because we're in the inner city and many of us were raised here, that it is important to take care of your mind and your body. So we do a lot of social emotional awareness here. We have yoga with the North Yoga Movement every Tuesday. We have our own garden through Era Farms. We're growing our own greens. So even yesterday, we took the greens that we have been growing and packaged it up, added some cherry tomatoes and serviced all of the staff with salads for yesterday. We donated 75 packages to Harmony House, a homeless shelter down the street. Um, we're gonna be giving it to our families every Friday just to remind them to be healthy. We have meditation here. We do yoga classes with families, even in the evenings. Anybody who wants to find new ways to live a healthy lifestyle can do it through us. And we, we try to model that for them. Lashana, let me ask you this. You're born and raised in Newark, correct? Yes, sir. And so help folks understand why this is not just a great professional achievement for you, but why it's highly personal for you, please. Wow. It's really personal for me. Um, I was a student here. I was born and raised here. Um, my mother, um, well, I always tell that story. She was a background singer um, for the Shirelles and the Chantels, and she had a drug problem. And so my sisters and I would go back and forth into foster care, and so we would be transferred into different schools. And so when I was in the fourth grade going to another Newark school, Mount Vernon, actually, um, my mother died from her drug addiction. I was in the fourth grade. I got transferred back here. This used to be 14th Avenue School, which is now Michelle Obama. And, you know, being a child in the system, when you look at students as their principal, you see yourself. You see all the struggles. You have adults around you that pour into you, that tell you you're going to make it. These are things you could do. I'm here for you. That's probably what really led me into education initially because my teacher, she was my teacher at Mount Vernon, Miss Bay. When I kept going to the foster cares, to the different homes, she would go with me, making sure I did my homework, making sure I still was a good student. That I still the teacher. Needed. Yes, Miss Bay. teacher did that. A teacher did that for me. And it just modeled for me what I'm supposed to be doing. I need to pour into students the way people pour into me. And so being in the same building where I got transferred in, moving back into another foster home, every time I look at my students, I'm reminded of my calling, of what my job is. 
And so my job is to make sure I educate them at the highest quality, make sure that their mind, their body, their attitude, and everything is working efficiently so that they can be their very best self. School is a place, you know, Steve, when we were growing up, school was always that safe haven. It was the place, it was the shelter, it's where you went to when you needed anything. Michelle Obama Elementary School is that way again. You need things, you come here. If you want to find an avenue to do something, you can come through us. We're here. You know, on the other end of the city, on the northern end of the city, for me growing up, uh, clearly at a very different time than you did, it was Ridge Street School and Broadway mm -hmm. Junior High School, uh, now of a different name. And um, I know I'm not alone in, in saying how, how proud those of us from the city of Newark are to have our best and brightest leaders deciding to, to go all in, to make a difference for other young people. So in so many ways, you're a role model. Aww. You're a role model for so many young people and others, students and others. But so is Michelle Obama. What does Michelle Obama mean to you? And what does her name being tied and her reputation being tied to the school mean to you personally and professionally? Well, personally, it's just, she has such class, such high standards um, for our communities, our country. Um, she sets the precedence for excellence and rising above any adversity. I mean, a lot of us know a lot of the challenges she faced growing up and how she was determined to excel. And so when I look at her personally, I feel that strength. I feel that journey of proving that you can be excellent as long as you work hard. And I transfer that into my professionalism. I mean, the way that she and President Obama believed in where this country could go is exactly what I believe where our students can go. We can achieve. As long as we work hard, as long as we strive for it, and as long as we work together, there is nothing that we cannot accomplish. Hassan, did you get her there yet? I'm sorry for interrupting. No, we did not. We've been trying. So, Come on, Steve, you got to help us out. Okay, let, let's do this. Lashana, if you could talk directly, and we'll do everything we can to, to connect with Michelle and, and the former President of the United States, Barack Obama, and find this way to get this video to them. You're talking to Michelle Obama directly. We respect and appreciate the president, but this is to Michelle Obama directly. You're making a, a plea to her personally and professionally as one of the brightest lights in Brick City in New York. Go ahead, talk to her right now. I would say to her, uh, Michelle Obama, the students and I are honored to have our school named after you. There's so many things in your life that we pride ourselves on. Your notion of living at the fullest, being healthy, working hard, contributing, being a product of community service is where we're headed. And I believe that you would be honored to see the things that are happening here to hear the students talk about their contributions and how as young as four years old, they understand the importance of giving back to not just their community, but to other communities and to this country. That is something that I can teach them all I can in, in curriculum, 
but modeling best practices or how to really be a citizen that gives is something that they've seen you do, they're seeing me do, and we want you to come and see them do it. They have so much to show you. Well said. That is uh, LaShonda Gilliam. She is the proud principal of Michelle Obama Elementary School in the great city of Newark, uh, opened in 2021. LaShonda, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Have a great day. You got it. We'll see you next time, folks. Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by PSEG Foundation, Kane University, Delta Dental of New Jersey, PSENG, The Fidelco Group, Rutgers University, Newark, New Jersey Sharing Network, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, and by the New Jersey Education Association. Promotional support provided by Meadowlands Chamber and by NJ Biz. To see more Think Tank with Steve Adubato programs and to listen to Think Tank with Steve Adubato, the podcast, visit us online at steveadubato.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, and follow us on Twitter at steveadubato. I am alive today thanks to my kidney donor. I am traveling and more active than ever before. I'm alive today thanks to my heart donor. I'm full of energy and back singing in my church choir. I'm alive today thanks to my lung donor. I'm breathing easy and I'm enjoying life's precious moments. There are about 4,000 people in the years who are waiting for a life-saving transplant. Donation needs diversity. For more information or to become an organ and tissue donor, visit njsharingnetwork.org. New Jersey is home to the best public schools in the nation. And that didn't happen by accident. It's the result of parents, educators, and communities working together year after year to give our students a world-class education, no matter the challenge. Because parents and educators know that with a shared commitment to our public schools, our children can learn, grow, and thrive. And together, we can keep New Jersey's public schools the best in the nation.